I want to invite you to take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to John chapter 3. I want to bring a message this morning. I hope I am preaching to the choir, but maybe not. Maybe not at all. Uh, But if I am preaching to the choir, I want to bring a message this morning that hopefully in coming days and weeks, if you've been witnessing to somebody or have a burden for somebody, I want to encourage you to, to ask them to listen to the message online this morning uh, that you're about to hear. Uh, direct them to the website and to the sermons and ask them to set aside 30 or 40 minutes to listen to this message Uh, today. I've had a burden on my heart for about three weeks and hopefully I'm going to get this burden off of my shoulders and onto your shoulders today. Uh, It's a burden about the new birth. And so I want to talk to you this morning about a matter of life and death. A matter of life and death. We're going to talk this morning about the necessity of the new birth and the nature of the new birth. It continues to be an issue that so many people, even in the church, misunderstand. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Beginning in verse 1, in John John chapter 3, verse 1, we read these words. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Father, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would give each person listening ears to hear. Lord, I don't know why this text has been such a burden on my heart 
for a number of weeks now, but you know. So Lord, use this for your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, this morning I know beyond a shadow of a doubt the most important issue in your life. You say, how can you know that, preacher? You may not even know me that well. I can say on the authority of God's Word, I know what is the most important issue in your life. It's the most important issue in anyone's life. It has to do with where you will spend eternity. There's so much unrest in the, in the nation and in the world right now. And what I keep thinking is, are people ready to meet God? Are people ready to meet God? You see, folks, because whereas everyone dies, not everyone goes to heaven. That's a lie that the devil would love to have you believe because if you believe that, then you'll not see the point or the urgency of preparing for eternity. People say, oh, you know, Jesus is nice. Surely he would not send anybody to hell. Well, folks, let's not forget that Jesus said the road to destruction is broad. And many travel that road. Jesus is also the one who told a, a story in Luke chapter 16. And I want to read that story to you. And, and again, keep in mind, it's Jesus telling this story. And so if there was not an afterlife, if there was not a heaven, if there was not a hell, Jesus wouldn't have told this story, but he did. He said, now there was a certain rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day and a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things, but now he's being comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. 
A guy being an evangelist from hell. Think about that. Warn others that they won't come where I am. I don't want anybody to come to this place where I am. Now with that being said, come back to John chapter 3. Folks, in John's gospel, we see 11 interviews between Jesus and various individuals. And this is one of those interviews. You know, chapter 2 closes with saying that Jesus did not entrust himself to anyone because he knew what was in men's hearts. But here in chapter 3, we see Jesus spending time with Nicodemus. He knows that Nicodemus is an honest seeker. And what we see in our text today is that in our natural state, we do not go to heaven. Today, if you've not experienced personally God's transforming work, making you spiritually alive, my desire this morning is that you would recognize your condition and cry out to God before it's too late. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the necessity of the new birth. What did Jesus say in verse 3? He said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus was a religious man. I don't want that fact to to get by anybody. He was a religious man. But religion in and of itself is not adequate. If it were adequate, Nicodemus would have been at peace. And Jesus would have told him to go home and simply enjoy the eternal life that he has, that he was on his way to heaven. But that's not the case. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. We're told in other places he was one of the Sanhedrin. Seventy rulers, top rulers, who would be like Supreme Court justices in the land. In a land where they had sort of married politics and religion together. And so these religious leaders were also political leaders, had a lot of political clout. Only the most faithful were appointed to a position like Nicodemus enjoyed. And so we see that Nicodemus is a very powerful man and he is a very religious man. And yet he's lost. He's blind. You know, in John chapter 4, Jesus talks to a woman who should be blind and yet she comes to see. There's interesting reversals that take place all throughout John's gospel. Someone who has every reason to be saved. Somebody who has every reason to be to, uh, to see, yet they're lost and they're blind. And then somebody who you would think would be blind, yet sees. These reversals that take place all through John's gospel. Surprises. And this is one such surprise. 
People would have assumed that Nicodemus was right with God because, again, he was a Pharisee, he was a leader, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he was a teacher of the people of God. You know, man is religious because he's looking for God. He's longing for something better. He wants peace with God. The Bible, in fact, says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has put eternity in our hearts. Romans 1 tells us that all men everywhere know that there's a God. The creation itself testifies that there's a God. And people reject that knowledge. They suppress it. Pascal, the French philosopher, said there's a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. Man is incredibly religious by nature. And we see this all over the world, even in cultures where people are bowing down to idols and statues. Religion is man's attempt to try to reach up and grab a hold of God. But religion never saves. Man's attempts never save. The prophet Isaiah said, All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy God. Religion in itself is not adequate if that is all that we have. Something has to be changed within us at the very core of our being. Nicodemus was longing for this. He was longing for something more. His religion had not satisfied him. And so he comes to Jesus by night. No doubt out of fear what his colleagues would think if they saw him having a private conversation like this with Jesus. Now true, it may be that the evening hours would... Nicodemus knew as, as many crowds as were seeking Jesus in the course of the day, he probably knew that he would have more time with Jesus. So that's probably one of his motives too. But you know, John loves double meanings. Nicodemus is in darkness. And he comes to Jesus by night. It's kind of like in the, in later on when, when John says Judas slipped out of the upper room and it was night. These double meanings. Nicodemus knew that Jesus was of God. He had seen Jesus' miracles. Now what's so significant about all this is that this ruler of the Jews with all of his religion again was dissatisfied. He knows something is vital. Something vital is missing in his heart. You know, with all the unrest that's in the world right now, do you have peace? Do you have peace with God? Do you know that all is well between you and God? It would have seemed strange to some that Nicodemus was in the shape that he was in, seeing who he was. 
Rabbinic tradition states that Nicodemus was one of the three richest and most powerful men in all of Jerusalem. And yet again, there's this longing in his heart. Folks, that just shows right there. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your position is in life. There's a longing in people to know God, to be at peace with God. What do we see going on here? What's, what's happening in this text? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. If you go over to John chapter 6 and read verse 44, what Jesus say there? No one can come to my Father unless what? Unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So who is at work in Nicodemus? The Holy Spirit is at work in Nicodemus. Jesus will say in John chapter 16 that the work of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, is to convict the world of sin and of judgment. And that, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing here with Nicodemus. Now folks, we can criticize Nicodemus for all, for all we want to. You know, we can say he, he must have been afraid of what others would think. And we know that what others think shouldn't matter. But before we're too hard on Nicodemus, let's remember that at least he followed through on this unrest. He knew the right person to go to. Amen? He's responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some of you might need to do exactly what Nicodemus is doing here. You need to get along with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been working on your heart maybe for some time now. And you know there's this emptiness in your heart. There's this lack of peace. And the Holy Spirit has been drawing you to Jesus Christ. Now, we see here that Nicodemus kind of wanted to beat around the bush, and he just kind of wanted to discuss spiritual things. But what did Jesus do? Jesus went straight to the heart of the matter. And what is it Jesus pointed out? The new birth is necessary to go to heaven. I've been talking to people before, some of you have had this experience, and you're sort of drawing the net. You've presented the gospel and you're drawing the net, and all of a sudden they want to change the subject and talk about anything and everything. Preacher, do you think we're in the end times? And you've got to take a moment to try to draw them back in, and then you get them drawn back in, and then they go off in another tangent. What do you think about such and such? People dodging. Nicodemus must have been a little bit like that. And Jesus didn't take the bait. He went straight to the point. One must be born again. Or literally born from above. Born from above. Of the Spirit. The Greek word means from above. And it also carries with it the idea of being born anew. Afresh. There must be a spiritual birth, a spiritual awakening. You've heard me say before countless times 
that there's the first birth, the physical birth, and there's the second birth, the spiritual birth. And just like there's the first birth, there's the first death, the physical death. And just like there's the second birth, there's the second death, which is spiritual death. And if you've only been born once physically, you're going to die twice, not only physically, but spiritually. But if you've been born twice, physically and spiritually, you'll only die once, physically. Folks, what all this points out is we cannot go to heaven the way that we are. The way we come into this world. In verse 6, what does Jesus say? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, our physical birth does not prepare us or make us ready to go to heaven. Jason read a moment ago Ephesians 2. What's Ephesians 2 say? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what's Paul say in Romans 6, 23? The wages of sin is death. If religion were enough, Nicodemus would have been ready. He would have been qualified. But just like I said earlier, it's not enough. What's religion do? Religion dresses up the old nature. That's all religion can do. It dresses us up a little bit on the outside without changing the nature on the inside. Jesus is insisting to Nicodemus that being dressed up on the outside alone is not good enough. Dr. Leon Morris writes, Man's nature is so gripped by sin that an activity of the very spirit of the living God is necessary if he is to be associated with God's kingdom. Jesus said, you must be born again. There's no vacillating on this. There's no quibbling about it. You must be. Jesus said the Son of Man must be crucified. He must be raised from the dead. And you must be born again. Now I want you to think of how shocking Jesus' words must have sounded to Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have been active at his local synagogue. He would have been active at the temple. People relied on Nicodemus to show them the way. And yet here is Jesus telling him that none of this in and of itself is adequate. He said, you must be born again. I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced the new birth from above? You know, for some people like the Apostle Paul, it's very dramatic, isn't it? Very dramatic. And for others, it seems to be very quiet. You remember Lydia, that businesswoman, in Acts chapter 16 at Philippi? Remember when Paul went to Philippi, and there wasn't even a, a, a synagogue in town? They didn't have a big enough Jewish population. So what did Paul do? Paul went down by the river, and he found some people meeting there for prayer. 
And Lydia was in that crowd. She was a businesswoman. And Acts 16 says, the Lord opened her heart to believe. You get the impression that it was, it was as far as anybody else was concerned, it was non-eventful. It was quiet. I mean, here's Paul, boom! That, that light knocks him off his horse, right? I mean, it's as dramatic as it can possibly be. And here's Lydia, it's just, it's just so quiet. One of the worst things the Lydias of this world can do is struggle over the fact that their conversion is not an Apostle Paul type conversion. I want to emphasize to you the dramatics of your conversion are not what you need to focus on. Rather, what you need to focus on is the reality of it. Have you been born from above? Regardless of the dramatics. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In other words, a change has taken place. 1 John says that, that what that will look like in everyday life is that first of all, you'll believe what the Bible says about the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, you believe God's testimony about His only begotten Son. John goes on to say, you will obey God now. You won't simply say that you believe God and go on living in darkness in the ways of the world. There will be a change related to obedience and walking in the light. You'll have a changed relationship in regards to sin. And John says you'll love God's family. In other words, there will be marks of conversion. Here again, people see this at differing degrees. There, there's differing degrees of maturity. But the important thing is, is that it has happened. Your faith is more than simply words. There is life evidence of conversion. If we were to make an analogy with physical birth, what would we say? If someone has the signs of life, a heart rate, they're breathing, there's brainwave activity, then what do we call those? Vital signs, evidence of physical life. If you walk up to a casket and take somebody's pulse, what are you going to find? Nothing. If you look for their breathing, what are you going to find? Nothing. There are no vital signs of life. Why? Because they're dead. Well, what John is saying in 1 John, there are vital signs to spiritual life as well. These vital signs offer evidence of the reality of spiritual life. John says that if somebody says they're a Christian and yet there are no spiritual vital signs, that person is deceiving themselves. That's why Paul could also say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to make certain that you're in the faith. Are there vital signs of spiritual birth from above? And again, 
To go to heaven, the spiritual birth, is not just a good idea, it is a necessity. Well, secondly, let's look at what Jesus said about the nature of the new birth. Look at verse 4. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus is talking there about the nature of the new birth. Now, to Nicodemus, Jesus' words made no sense at all. He's trying to figure all this out. Jesus, are you telling me that now as a grown man, somehow or another, I've got to get back inside of my mother's womb and, and go through that birth process again? That, that doesn't even make sense to me, Jesus. What are you talking about? And what's that point out? The new birth surpasses human logic. A lost man doesn't understand spiritual things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul said, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of God seem so foolish to a lost man. A lost man thinks he's got to earn it. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof, the end thereof, are the ways of death. Some folks say, why would you want to go to church? Why do you want to study the Bible? You see, spiritual things just don't make any sense to them. And if you try talking to to them about heaven... What's the lost man's logic immediately go to? I think I'm probably good enough. Performing good deeds. If you do enough, God will love you. And folks, do you realize this morning that's what the majority of people believe? In fact, back in 1996, George Barna polled America on this very question. And the majority of Americans believe that if you are good enough and have done enough good works, you might can earn your way into heaven. You know what that tells me? That tells me the majority of Americans in their theology are, are more Muslim than they are Christian. Because what's the Muslim think? If I get to the end of my earthly life and I die and there's more checks in the good column than there are in the bad column, maybe I'll be saved and go to paradise. And that's what the majority of Americans think anyway. Sad. I can really never know for certain is what they're saying. I hope I'll be good enough. I hope the good outweighs the bad. I hope God grades on the curve. Folks, Christianity is a matter of grace. 
Great example of that is Abraham that Paul talks about in Romans 4. Before the law, before circumcision, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. God imputed righteousness to Abraham. Before the law, before keeping the law or trying to do do good, Abraham believed God and God credited unto him as righteousness. Now folks, God's grace will result in a changed life, a good life, but it's not based on goodness. Christianity is a matter of grace. Jesus explains the new birth. Look again at verse 5. Jesus said, you must be born of the water and the Spirit. Now, what in the world does that mean? It's, It's actually a pretty complicated issue here. Scholars wrestle with this. Some say it refers to the water that breaks at physical birth. In other words, Jesus is saying... Before you can be spiritually born, you've got to first of all be physically born. But there's problems with that though. What about the child who dies in the womb? Surely the child that dies in the womb goes to heaven. He was not born, but he was a person. He was conceived. Life begins at conception. So saying that this means physical birth, the water breaking at physical birth, not, not a good explanation. Others say it's, it's John's baptism, a baptism of repentance. And so by water, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus that in, in addition to John's baptism that chapter 1 talks about, that the Pharisees had questions over, there's got to be a work of the Spirit too. In other words, the water of baptism alone is not enough to say. Others say it's a reference to Christian baptism. With much the same what I just said about John's baptism. But keep in mind, Christian baptism as an ordinance wasn't even established yet. Would Jesus have been talking to Nicodemus about an ordinance that wasn't even practiced yet? Others say it's the Word of God. Water is often used as a symbol in other places in the New Testament for the Word of God. In Ephesians 5, Paul speaks of the washing of water by the Word. And so in order to be saved, you've got to have the revelation of the Word of God. That's like water that washes you and cleans you. It's a difficult choice. I think water, a symbol of the word, but in context of John's gospel, it may also be referring to baptism too. But if it, if it includes baptism, it's not saying that baptism is, is necessary, that the water saves. That's not the point. In other words, what Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, it's got to be more than that. Yes, people are baptized, but it's got to be more than that. In addition to the water, it's got to essentially be the Spirit. I 
I like the word option, that it's a symbol of the word. The work of the word of God and the work of the spirit of God, bringing about the new birth. Jesus goes on to point this out clearly. We must be born of the spirit. It's got to be from above, from God. Again, salvation is a matter of God's grace. Salvation is not just a matter of religion, going to church, even joining a church. You do all that because you are saved. But there's got to be the work of the Spirit involved. The Spirit of God convicting you of your sin and your need of a Savior draws you to Christ. You repent of your sins, put your faith in Christ, and God transforms you from the inside out. You're converted, you're regenerated, you're made spiritually alive. You come alive to the things of God. It is a spiritual birth. And folks, that's what Nicodemus needed to understand And that's what Americans today need to understand too. And Jesus points out the mystery all of this is. He goes on to say in verse 8, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Folks, what we're talking about is a mysterious thing that we can't draw up and chart on a piece of paper or something like that. You have a couple sitting in church. Both of them are lost. They go to church because somebody invites them. Maybe it's a special event. The pastor that morning preaches a a salvation-type message. And the wife is broken. She's in tears. She responds. The man leaves. He leaves, if anything, harder. Harder than when he came in. Husband and wife. Same church, same sermon. One's converted. One gives their heart and life to Jesus Christ. The other one leaves in unbelief. How in the world do you understand something like that? Because as Jesus is talking about here, it's like the wind. It's a mystery. The wind blows where it will. You you can't predict it. You don't know where it's come from, where it's going. That's the way the new birth is. It's a mystery. Why did you hear so many sermons for so many months or so many years and nothing happened and yet there was a moment in time in your life that you responded and came to Jesus Christ? Because it's a work from above and it's mysterious. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus. Folks, with all the uncertainty right now in the world, there is no uncertainty to what Jesus is saying here, though. You must be born again. Man is more than flesh and blood. Man has a soul. 
a spirit. And that spirit needs to come alive to the things of God. And if you expect to go to heaven, or you have a loved one or a friend or a co-worker who expects to go to heaven, they must have this spiritual birth from above. The Spirit of God convicting them of their sin and drawing them to faith in Christ. Again, it's of God. And while it's all of God, while salvation is all of God, man, man has to repent and believe. You've got to believe. You've got to respond to the gospel. The gospel is both gift and demand. You've got to respond. You've got to come to Christ. I want to invite everybody this morning to examine their heart. And I want you to remember, you cannot go to heaven the way you came into this world physically. You have to experience another kind of birth. A spiritual birth. Has that happened in your life? You may not remember the exact day or hour, and that's fine. But you ought to be able to think of a general time period in your life where you think back and remember, yeah, I, I, was, I remember when I was saved. I was, I was born again, born from above. You, because it's an event. It's, it's a new beginning that happens in your life. Somebody says, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. There's a time you were born again. And if that's not happened in your life, you've got business to do with God. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin and your need of Christ, you need to repent and believe and come to Christ. He will save you. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.25, He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. Folks, it is a miracle. People talk about miracles. The greatest miracle of all, of all is the transformation God does in a human heart. That's the greatest miracle of all. Somebody getting saved. Again, it's God's work. But you've got to repent and believe. This morning, maybe somebody needs to cry out to God, Lord, save me, convert me, regenerate me, because you've been under conviction. If you repent and believe, let us know. We want to help you get started. If somebody is listening online and they cry out to God, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me. That spiritual birth the preacher is talking about, God, do that in my heart and life. If that's you, somebody listening online, contact us, email us. We want to help you get started in the Christian life and we want to help you grow and take next steps being baptized and becoming part of a church family. 
And folks, pray for those in your life that you, you either know or you suspect they've never been born again. Pray that the Spirit of God would be working in their hearts, convicting them of their sin and drawing them to faith in Christ before it's too late. Because I'm here to tell you, there is a point in time coming in an individual's life and in the scheme of history itself, it will be too late. Lord, we thank you for your grace in saving sinners. Lord, that work of conversion that only you can do. Lord, I pray for those who have spent their entire lives so far getting it wrong because they've been thinking, I need to earn it. Lord, I pray that it would be so clear to them that just like Nicodemus, they need to be born from above of the Spirit. It's not a matter of human works. Lord, wake them up to that before it's too late. And Lord, as Christians who've experienced that new birth, God, give us, give us a fresh burden for those around us that we know are lost. Lord, just because we might have peace with you, Lord, help us not to drift off into complacency. Lord, may we be like the Lord Jesus, who when he looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, give us your eyes and your heart for lost people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.